Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of sex, or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, sex and intimacy coach, and a gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist. And I am working my way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. I created this podcast to help you learn to express your desires, learn more about desires, spice up your relationships, and create those sizzling relationships that you have always wanted. I do this through solid science, real-life stories, and conversations with an exciting array of experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies that will help you choose the relationship style that works best for you and create exactly what you want and need. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and you can take advantage of the subscriber bonuses. And if you want to know more, head over to DrLaurieBethBisbee.com and sign up for my email list so that you can find out exactly what is going on in my world from week to week. But for now, come join me and enter my world of sex and relationships. See you inside. Welcome to the A to Z of sex, or the A to Z of sex, if you're in North America. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, a sex and intimacy coach, an accredited advanced gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist. And I am working my way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. And we're back at the beginning of the alphabet again. Today, the letter is A. And A is for all the relationships. Today's conversation is about all the different relationship styles that are available to you. Um, I've been on Open House, the great sex experiment on Channel 4. Um, two of six sessions have aired while I'm, when I'm recording this podcast. And uh, people often ask if I am pro-non-monogamy because um, I am non-monogamous myself and I'm doing a show about non-monogamy. Um, and so... I'm afraid the assumption is that um, I would automatically be pro one particular relationship style. But actually what I am is pro-choice. What I think is really important is that people understand all the different types of relationship configurations that they can choose to be in um, and what's involved in each and really spend some time working out what is likely to work best for them. I also think it's important for people to recognize that what works well for us at the age of 20 may not work well for us at the age of 50. And that relationship style can be fluid the same as uh, sexuality can be somewhat fluid or very fluid, depending on the person. The same as gender can be somewhat fluid, not at all fluid or very fluid, again, depending on the person. And I think um, frequently when we're t taught about 
relationships and relationship styles, we're not taught about choice. We tend to be taught that there is one way to do relationships correctly when you are quote unquote ready to settle down. So I want to talk about monogamy first and a little bit about um, why monogamy is um, so prevalent um, in so many parts of the world um, and about what is great about monogamy as well as what is difficult about monogamy. I got criticized recently because um, uh, somebody didn't really listen to all that I said and just took one comment fairly out of context was the idea that monogamy is outdated um, and they got very offended by this. What I was talking about was the reasons that monogamy became so important are outdated, (laughs) not necessarily the relationship style. And again, I think that's a really important distinction. Um, We do all sorts of things as a result of where technology is, uh, what living conditions are like, um, what uh, our life expectancies are. All of this has changed uh, a lot and also very quickly. But a lot of our conventions are based on these very practical things. And so um, the, con- the, the practical practicalities can have changed but you can still find benefit in the relationship style and or lifestyle choice. So let's start out with a little bit about what I was saying on monogamy at the time that this person got quite quite upset. Um, One of the main reasons that monogamy became the dominant relationship style was to do with inheritance. And it was when the change came about from societies being more matrilineal, that is, everything passed down the mother's line, to societies becoming patrilineal, where it's passing down the father's line. It is common sense that when we look at um, matrilineal societies, there really is no reason to emphasize only one partner because there is no doubt who the mother of the child is if she gives birth to the child, right? So if you are passing your inheritance, you know, these are your goods and chattels down, your money down to the next generation, and you're passing them down through the mother's line, then it's pretty straightforward. It doesn't matter if there are six different fathers. Every child of that mother is inheriting. But when things move towards patrilineal societies, there were problems. And and the biggest problem was there was no way at the time to really ascertain who the father was. There was no way to guarantee that um, or even necessarily to be reasonably sure about that because we didn't have DNA tests then. And, 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 And this was in another show and is a whole other conversation, 
but uh, virginity is a construct, right? There are no bona fide tests of virginity that actually work. So there really was no way of telling who the father of a child was, but one way of trying to make sure that you knew who the father of a child was, was trying to guarantee that there was only one male present in a sexual relationship with the mother and therefore there would be that person would definitely be the father of the child so there was a lot of emphasis placed on monogamy and a lot of shaming around anything that wasn't monogamy because the more that you condoned alternatives the more likely it was that you wouldn't be able to figure out who the father was and therefore inheritance might leave the family might go to somebody else's child and not your child. And people feel very strongly about things like this. Um, So that is the simple, quick and dirty version of why monogamy became so important and why the churches were so critical on monogamy. There is certainly nowhere um, in the Old Testament that says that it's one man and one woman. It's not there. If you look at the early forefathers, they had multiple wives. There were many other cultures locally and around that had multiple husbands. So um, it, it wasn't in the book, as some would have you believe. And there were really practical reasons for it. And to be fair, a lot of the laws that were in the Old Testament had really practical reasons behind them. You can't fault them. You know, there were foods that you weren't allowed to eat. Why? Because they were foods that had a much higher likelihood of being tainted and uh, therefore killing you because of food poisoning or or parasites or things like that. Um, and so, you know, yes, uh, many people carry on those traditions today, and that's fine, but understanding where they came from is also important. So when it comes to relationship style, monogamy was primarily about making sure that we were very clear that there was one person who was the father. The other reason for monogamy being popular was the assumption um, that anything else meant a lack of continuity for raising children. So that was the other part to it. It was essential that we knew who the father was, And it was essential that parents stuck around in order to raise their children to majority. Now, while that was important, certainly um, in older times, you know, we talked about it took a village to raise a child and there really was a village to raise a child. That other adults got involved in the raising of the children, relatives and and. and close friends, so there were chosen family back then as well. And um, so a lot of people did get involved in the raising of the child. But by trying to cement a pair bond and by creating a set of mores around that, you had a higher likelihood of your children living to majority. Um, Again, passing down your lineage was important and you had a higher likelihood of passing down your lineage because, of course, if your children die die young, you're not passing down your lineage. So these were the things that were important around monogamy. Um, um, 
human beings as primates, certainly um, it's not a biological thing. The research does not show that it is a biological um, imperative to pair bond. So um, that's where we get uh, this strong indoctrination. And it is an indoctrination. Um, even if one isn't religious, uh, if one is raised in a Western culture, if a child is raised on Disney, for the most part, the only relationship options that you will see are monogamous. That hasn't even really started changing yet. So, excuse me. You you grow up being enculturated with this as the often the only option, although that is changing. And therefore, don't really consider if it works for you or how it might work for you. So even if one is going to choose monogamy and, and actually monogamy would be the best for them, in order to actually make that a choice and make the best of a monogamous relationship, create the best monogamous relationship, one really has to understand what makes up a monogamous relationship. What are the components? And what are the other options that one would have and the pros and cons of those as well? Um, so when it comes to monogamy, uh, one of the major pros is, um, and this is when it works because, um, divorce rate currently in the United Kingdom is hovering around 42%. So, uh, there are many people who end up engaged in serial monogamy. Uh, that is, they are, uh, partnered with one person they think it will be for the rest of their lives. Uh, they break up and they find a new partner and they partner with that person and they think that it will be for the rest of their lives and it may be or they may split up and partner with another person and so it goes. So we're looking at um, uh, one-on-one relationships, always one relationship at a time, but none of them being uh, a lifetime as um, as uh, what people are told they should be, and as many uh, more relationships were in the past. And and one of the downsides of of um, feeling that you absolutely have to have a lifetime relationship is that if you've made a bad choice and um, or maybe just a not optimal choice. And if you've made a bad choice, you could feel trapped into it, particularly if you've had children. You could feel trapped into staying in the relationship for a very long period of time. Um, and you could be in a rather miserable situation. And I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm talking about right now just relationships that aren't great, not relationships that are abusive, just relationships that aren't great where nobody's really happy. Um, one of the worst parts of that, of course, is that if you do have children, that you're teaching children that this is what relationships look like because they learn from what they see. And so if they see two relatively unhappy parents or people who have become platonic friends and that's all they've ever seen are adults who are friends, then they grow up believing that that's what a romantic relationship looks like. Um, And if they have no other models around them, that's what they're likely to end up in because our first 
major relationships are often very much like the ones we saw at home, unless we've done some some personal growth work or some therapy work to actually examine those relationships that we saw at home and make a choice that might be more suited to us. If you're lucky enough to grow up in a home where you've got a monogamous monogamous parents who get along great and it's long lasting, then you've got a wonderful version of what monogamy can look like. And monogamy can be a beautiful, deep, long lasting relationship where two people build a many layered relationship. They build a friendship and a romantic relationship. Um, and a sexual or, um, or intimate, physically intimate relationship in many cases. There are some people who don't build that type of relationship, um, but many people do. And um, these relationships change over time and the children are able to see people weathering difficulties and supporting each other and sticking together and moving through times where they're not getting along as well. So there's a lot um, of wonderful things that um, somebody can grow up observing about monogamy. And some of the pros about monogamy are having somebody who really gets to know you at a very deep level over a very long period of time. Now that can also happen in non-monogamous relationships, but um, in monogamous relationships is more likely to happen because, well, there's only that one person, right? So that's monogamy. Um, it's less complicated when it comes to figuring out uh, finances. It's less. Con- there's some privilege that goes along with being uh, in a monogamous couple, particularly if you uh, get married or have a civil partnership, a legal ceremony that tells the world that you're in a monogamous partnership. There's privilege that goes along with that as well. People understand those relationships and they find them less difficult to deal with. So there's monogamy. Um, The downsides of monogamy um, are things like two people who aren't suited, who are together and unhappy. Um, People who feel that they must get all their needs met from one person. So that's a lot of pressure. Um, and that can lead to, to feeling overwhelmed and shutting down uh, people who feel a need to stay committed in a relationship that isn't working. People who have um, varied sexuality, so they're not heterosexual or homosexual, but they're more they're either bisexual or pansexual, um, cut out a portion of their sexuality in order to be monogamous. They are not able to express it because you can't have one person who's multigendered. I mean, they might be gender fluid, might do that, but um, you don't have one person who's got m- multiple different body parts most of the time. And so you are definitely limiting your sexuality in some ways if you decide to be in a monogamous relationship. Now, many people do that happily because they prefer monogamy, but that is a downside for people who are monogamous and have varied sexuality. And and really the biggest downside is for people who really, um, who don't match up well in their relationship. Um, Sometimes sexual relationships are really mismatched And there's things you can do, but sometimes with the best will in the world, the compromises are very large. Um, Sometimes people don't match up in all sorts of other ways, but feel constrained to do what their partners do um, and to compromise in many areas. Um, And so they don't get their needs met because they don't have 
feel that they have any alternatives, therefore um, getting their needs met is prob- problematic, which is understandable. Um, okay, so that's monogamy. So now let's talk a bit about non-monogamy because non-monogamy is a bitter, bitter <laughs> excuse me, is a bigger topic. Um, there are many different kinds of non-monogamy. We've got non-monogamy that is consensual. And by that, I mean, everybody has given consent. So everybody's agreed that this is what we're going to do and this is acceptable. Um, and there are many different types of consensual non-monogamy. And I'll talk about those in a minute. We also have non-monogamy that is non-consensual. And that is when everybody has not agreed that they're going to have multiple partners. And we commonly call that an affair. Affairs are damaging primarily because they break the trust in the relationship and they are a betrayal of the agreements made in the relationship. Those are the things that damage in affairs. That lying um, are the damaging parts of an affair. The sex in and of itself often isn't that damaging. It can be upsetting. Sometimes it's very damaging. If somebody has a sexually transmitted disease and they bring that home, then the sex is very damaging. If somebody uh, impregnates another person, so there's a child now outside of the marital relationship or the monogamous relationship, yes, that can be very damaging as well. Um, but as a rule, the sex isn't the most damaging part of affairs. It is the lying, uh, the betrayal, the fracturing of trust. And that's the thing that is quite difficult for people to work through. People do work through it, but it is hard to work through. Um, and it ends quite a number of relationships. So I predictably advise people to avoid that at all costs that if you feel that you have a strong desire to be with someone else, that you pluck up the courage to discuss that with a partner rather than act on it, and that you go and get some help and figure out whether you're going to move towards some form of consensual non-monogamy or you're going to work through whatever's um, whatever the desire is. Um, if your relationship isn't as um, interesting as it was, you'll do things to spice your relationship up. And there's all sorts of ways that you can deal with that, some of which involve you staying monogamous and others of which involve you opening up your relationship. But all of that is done before you act in a way that is going to fracture the trust. I have to say that not very many couples do that, and that is really unfortunate that not many people are brave enough to actually take the step of getting the help before they violate the trust and break the agreements. And that many people go and have the affair and it's when it's discovered that they end up going for some help if they go for help at all. There's a saying that people quote a lot, which is, it's better to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. And when it comes to relationships, that's absolutely wrong. It's always better to ask for permission. If you're asking for forgiveness, that means you've already hurt somebody. That means you've already fractured the trust. If you're asking for permission, you may have to deal with somebody saying no. You may have to deal with somebody getting upset about something. 
but you haven't done major damage already. And it's something that's much easier to work through. So it is really better when it comes to relationships and sex to actually get consent. Far better. So when it comes to consensual non-monogamy, there are a variety of ways that people are non-monogamous. I'm going to talk a bit about um, some of the more episodic ways first. Dan Savage coined the term monogamish for um, you're monogamous like 99% of the time, but there's the occasion that you might be non-monogamous. So you might agree that your partner is working away from home. It's okay if they um, have a sexual experience. Or you might agree that your form of monogamy means every once in a while you guys go to a sex party and mostly you play with each other and you have sex with each other, but you might invite somebody else in for an episodic thing. But it's really once in a while. That's what monogamish looks like. Then there's um, open relationships, which is really an umbrella term. It's another term for non-monogamy, but tends to be applied more to um, talking about relationships where we're focused on um, intimate relationships and not as focused on multiple emotional relationships. However, your mileage may vary. I mean, these terms can be used interchangeably. So um, a favorite form of opening up your relationship is... um, in, in, in just a sexual way, is uh, looking for threesomes. Um, people have heard me say this before. I'm going to say it again. Three is absolutely the worst number to try first off when you're first doing this because when there's three people, it's more likely somebody's going to be left out. So it actually takes a higher level of skill than um, going to a swing party where you end up doing a swap with another couple and there's four of you. So even if um, two of you aren't involved in the activity, you're both watching together. So people are less likely to feel left out. But threesomes are incredibly popular. Um, They're probably one of the most popular um, ways of opening a relationship, ways of being Um, non-monogamous. Threesomes can be uh, any mix of genders, but again, one of the most popular types is the threesome that involves two women and a man. So uh, the women are either bisexual or bicurious, and the man is heterosexual, um, or at least is being is acting heterosexually in this instance. Um, and this is definitely still one of the most popular ways to open a relationship. There are some... Um, Things you need to be careful of. Uh, A woman who looks to get involved with a couple is often called a unicorn. Uh, And and there's a lot of talk about every couple looking for a unicorn and unicorn hunters, these terrible people who are seeking unicorns, but they treat them very poorly. The thing that's really important is if, if you're a couple and you are searching out a single is that you make sure that everybody's needs are being taken into account. It's quite straightforward is that you make sure that you're talking through what, before you go out looking to meet somebody, you are really clear about what it is that you guys want. And then when you meet a person, that you find out exactly what they want and you negotiate with them about what you're able to provide, which is what you do anytime you're having a relationship that involves 
more than one person, right? <laughs> you should always be negotiating, even in a monogamous relationship. What am I offering? What are you offering? What are my expectations? What are your expectations? What are the things that are deal breakers for me? What are the things that are must-haves for me? That should be happening even when you're negotiating a monogamous relationship. So we're looking at this as what are we doing in terms of um, negotiating with, with a, a single person and the single person is, is coming with the same details. So that's another way of being non-monogamous. Sometimes people... Um, want an actual longer-term relationship. Uh, sometimes they want to live together. Sometimes they just want a long-term relationship that is uh, a longer-term partnership. Um, in general, we tend to look at those longer-term partnerships and call um, them polyamorous, which means many loves. So if you're having many uh, committed relationships, then we often refer to that as being polyamorous, even if... Um, you're being a friend with benefits long-term, but it's a committed relationship, i.e. Um, it's a long-term friendship and you negotiate when you have sex and when you don't. Um, many people will see that as falling in the side of polyamorous because there is an emotional relationship that goes along with that. And so when three people choose to try and live together, sometimes people call it a thruple. Or when three people choose to be committed to each other, sometimes people call it a thruple. And um, if you've got four people that choose to be committed, it's called a quad. I always say your mileage may vary on terms because, oh my God, terms change, right? So um, one type of three-person relationship is a V where um, there is one person who's having a relationship with two other people. They're the connecting point. The other two people aren't in relationship with each other. And so uh, they might be friendly and, and willing to sit down for a meal, but they're not having a romantic or sexual relationship with each other. Some people, as far as sexual relationships go, um, engage in swinging, um, which is usually couple-based, but there are singles that attend. Um, and there is an entire community devoted to swingers, and if you... Uh, want to hear a lot more about swinging if you go back in my podcasts uh, there are two podcasts that I have um, off the top of my head that I know are about swinging um, one of them was with Cooper S. Beckett and, and talking about um, bisexual men and swinging and, and the other one is with Zainarati uh, talking about um, swinging in general and swing clubs and the community. Um, uh, great podcasts and, and well worth a listen in detail. But suffice it to say for shorthand right now, these are, um, there's a culture that goes around swinging, there's a full-blown community around swinging, and um, it provides a social atmosphere as well as the sexual encounters and a lot of activities. And so that's another way in which um, people sometimes decide to open their relationship up if they're in an existing relationship. There are people who are solo polyamorists. There are people who do not um, have a relationship that they would consider to be um, 
nest a nesting relationship they don't live with a partner they don't have a relationship that they're prioritizing above another relationship and they have um a number of other relationships with people varied relationships with people but they choose to live on their own and manage their their lives on their own with um committed relationships with a variety of other people and 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 relationships of different types with a variety of other people There are people who practice relationship anarchy where they don't prioritize any type of relationship above another. So friendships are as important as uh, sexual relationships or as important as, <clears throat> excuse me, romantic relationships. Um, they create a um, web of relationships that works for them. And their webs of relationships and types of relationships can look incredibly individual. Um, sometimes they live with bunches of people. Sometimes they live alone. Sometimes they live with one person. But um, their relationships tend to look less like what we um, learn about through monogamy. So they look a lot less like the normative relationship, hence the term anarchy. Again, your mileage may vary. There are people who will describe that differently. There are people who are in um, larger group relationships. So there are uh, people who are part of um, polyamorous relationships where they're faithful to each other. So it's a polyfidelitous group. So that may be a closed group of anywhere from four to however many people who only engage romantically and sexually with each other. So as you can see, there are really a variety of different styles. There are people who do not choose to have any sexual relationships um, and choose to have some romantic relationships. So some people are asexual and they don't experience sexual attractions, but they may well experience romantic attractions. And so they'll have those without the sexuality part of it, the physical sex part of it. Um, they're just such a wide variety of ways of designing relationships that work. One of the things that's common to every single relationship style is that communication skills are essential. Communication is a part of every relationship, and the more complex your relationship style, the more communicating you have to do. The other thing that is important in terms of designing any relationship is self-awareness. Understanding what you want and need, knowing your own triggers and working through them, understanding the areas that are problematic for you and things you don't want in your life, uh, as well as the areas that are things that you really do want in your life, are essential. Um, the idea of being self-aware, being able to look at when um, you have a feeling, notice when you have a feeling and deal with the feeling, decent, if not exceptional emotional skills. So being able to soothe yourself, work through emotions, um, express your emotions, all essential for relationships, set good boundaries. Again, essential for all relationship styles. 
But the more complex relationships you have, the more essential. Um, some people also have relationships where they choose to have a power imbalance in the relationship. They do this consensually. They're called authority transfer-based relationships, and they're relationships in which one person cedes a degree of authority to another for various areas in their lives. You see these um, fall under the rubric of BDSM frequently, um, and um, usually one person is dominant and the other person is um, either in surrender or submissive, and um, one person's the leader, the other person's the follower, one person's the boss, the other person's the employee, however you want to put it. Um, you one of the things I think people miss is that there are power dynamics in every relationship, no matter what the relationship is, they're just usually not stated and defined. And the difference for these relationships is that people clearly define the power dynamic. They clearly define the authority that they're seating. Um, they have very clear expectations and understandings of um how these imbalances are being created and what each party wants to get out of it. Um, and so it's that clarity and that conscious consent, <clears throat> excuse me, an enthusiastic consent that makes it different from simply a traditional marriage in which, you know, perhaps the man is the king of the castle, right? So there's a power dynamic there. Um, and there is frequently quite a big power dynamic, um, and, and quite a big power imbalance, power dynamic, quite a big power imbalance, but it isn't agreed upon to begin with. It isn't discussed um, in detail frequently. Um, and so um, in that way can be a, a lot more of a problem and ultimately a lot more damaging because um, people don't get their needs met. Um, people feel like they are um, being treated badly, uh, because because nobody's talking about expectations and um, uh, what people need and what versus what they want and who's going to be responsible for what or any of those things um, and the difference in uh, relationships that are consensually involving authority transfer is that you are actually going through and discussing all these things so that's another relationship style that can be either monogamous or non-monogamous but it looks different <clears throat> when you talk to the parties, then a relationship that is more egalitarian. Um, one of the other issues that I did want to raise is the fact that um, relationships are really as individual as your fingerprint or your lip print or your ear print. And um, you can construct them down to the minutia if you so wish. People will frequently tell you that things have to be a certain way or must look a certain way um, because of uh, culture, because of religion, because of convention. But actually, you can start from the ground and build the relationship that you desire and build one. And it may still look incredibly conventional. Right? It doesn't necessarily look unconventional. The difference is you're making choices and you're consciously doing this with your partner. You're co-creating this. And therefore, people tend to be happier. There's a higher level of satisfaction when you are making choices versus when you are not. Right? 
And this is in all areas of life. Where we choose things, we experience a higher level of satisfaction. So opening up a relationship that has previously been monogamous can be exciting and fun and with relatively few pitfalls if you go about it with self-awareness, with empathy for your partner, with lots of information, with lots of conversation, and um, making some good agreements. If you've never done it before, we don't know what we don't know. So it's often useful to talk to someone like me who is experienced with the different relationship styles. There are some books you can also um, head towards. I tend to recommend um, Dr. Meg John Barker's book, Rewriting the Rules, because that book is really around how you can create the relationship that you want and the different things to be considering when you're doing that. Um, because um, that isn't any one particular style. So it, it it's useful no matter what kind of relationship you're creating. There's um, some people need an awful lot of help when they're doing this, often because of, of past experiences um, that were negative in relationships where, you know, somebody's had an affair or somebody's um, left them for someone else, um, often because of uh, insecurity and a lot of jealousy and, and uh, a lack of confidence. And those are all things that one needs to work through if one is going to have a really good um, non-monogamous relationship and um, emotions arise emotions arise in life they arise in relationships at various points for various reasons and so one also needs an effective means of dealing with one's emotions and um, a partner who is willing to adjust things depending on what's going on um, and who really um cares for having their partner be as happy as as possible and gains pleasure out of their partner's joy and pleasure. Uh, those make for the best open relationships. Um, next week, um, the topic is B and uh, the letter is B and the topic is beyond monogamy. So we're going to be talking non-monogamy some more next week. If you are in a situation where you are thinking about opening your relationship, and you would like some help or you already have opened your relationship but you're new on or you've run into difficulties and you would like some help navigating non-monogamy, I have a group starting on the 7th of May. You can find information on the group on drlauriebethbisbee.com and there you can reserve your spot. There are a limited number of spaces. It's a six-month group. It meets for four hours a month, two two-hour sessions. The first hour-ish will be on whatever the topic is of the month, and there's a whole list of the six topics. Um, each month there's a workbook of exercises that you can work your way through um, and that we can discuss. And then the second hour of each session will be whatever people bring up, whatever we want to talk about and people bring up. Um these groups are a lot of fun. Um, it's a cost-effective way of gaining some time with me and also 
you get the addition of having a supportive group of folks, some of whom have been where you are and others of whom are in the same place where you are. And so you can share experiences with each other and that works quite well as well. If you are interested in the group and you go to the website, you can actually reserve a place right from the website. Um, And um, if you have questions, you can also book an intro session. Um, Intro sessions, the price of an intro session is refundable on any purchase of any service. Um, So you can do that from the website as well. Um, And you can also sign up to get regular updates from me there as well. If you want to do something right now and you don't want to wait for a group, I do a two-hour laser coaching breakthrough session, which is designed to look at one issue um, and help you break through a stuck point um, or um, come up with a framework that allows you to move forward. And uh, you can also sign up for this on the site. Um if you go to my Instagram, at Dr. Bisbee, you can book um, the laser session from the Book Now button. And you can also book an intro session from the Book Now button. If you've got questions or comments, you can email Beth at drlauribethbisbee.com. If you have topics that you would like to hear about on the show. Upcoming topics include... Um, Mismatched Desire. Um, I'm going to have the amazing Cindy Darnell on to talk about that. And uh, she's got a new book coming out. And so I'm, I'm interviewing her right after the book comes out. So we'll be talking about the book um, and, and the topic, which is fabulous. Um, I've got uh, some more uh, folks coming on talking about um, various forms of non-monogamy, kink and BDSM. Um, I've got Jonathan Kent coming on to talk identity and identity politics with me in a few weeks. And he is also one of the people that's doing Beyond Monogamy with me next week. If there are people you'd like to hear me interview, please also let me know. And finally, reviews are really helpful with podcasts. And I know that a lot of times people are uncomfortable leaving reviews on podcasts that have to do with sex. But I would ask you to please leave a review, which you can do, I believe, anonymously. Leave them on whichever um, service that you use, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, um, iTunes, Stitcher. Um, They're really helpful. And um, I like to incentivize reviews. And when people leave reviews... If they email me and and give me a postal address, they will receive a little prezi. Um, The presents range from stickers to um, T-shirts to mugs, merch mugs, um, and occasionally um, some time with me. So uh, you never know. It's random. It's a random draw when people leave reviews. Um, But if you leave a review, you'll be in um, a raffle for prizes from that. So please do leave a review. Have an amazing week. Be safe and have fun. And I'll speak with all of you next week when the letter will be B. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. If you enjoyed the show, please do leave a review wherever it was you listened to it. But especially head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. 
Reviews really help the show get out there. If you want to support my work, you can support it through my Patreon page. That's Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on Patreon.com. You can also head over to DrLoriBethBisbee.com and subscribe to my free mailing list, which will keep you updated as to the activities I am getting up to and any special appearances. For people who subscribe to the Patreon, there are special broadcasts, merch, um, and the opportunity to get discounted tickets to a lot of the events that I do. Knowledge gives you power. The more you know, the better your relationships, the better your satisfaction and joy. If you've got suggestions for the show, comments or questions, do email at Beth at drlauriebethbisbee.com and I will try and incorporate them. Have a wonderful week filled with loads of joy. <laughs>